Andrew Womack Ministries presents this message titled, Submission in Marriage. We pray that the Word of God will come alive in your heart as you listen. Here in 1 Peter chapter 5, and I'm going to start reading with the first verse, I'm going to deal with the subject of submission and rebellion along the lines of um, the husband's role and the wife's role. And uh, Rich ministered a lot of important things about the husband's role. Tina, I believe, is going to mention quite, mention quite a few things about the wife's role. And uh, I'm going to be getting a lot into talking about some of the attitudes of the wife, but not really the role of a wife, because we're, we'll be talking about this subject of submission. And uh, so I'm dealing more with the principle of submission than I am the role of the husband or the role of the wife. Submission is something that must be understood. And submission is something that really people don't like to talk about. People do not like that subject because we've got this attitude that I'm free. I enjoy my freedoms. And there's an attitude prevalent in our society today that is not freedom at all. It's uh, lasciviousness. It's selfishness. It's self-centeredness. It's step on somebody else at my expense type of attitude. And that is not what the Bible teaches, freedom, liberty, etc. You know, anytime you have freedom, freedom bears responsibilities with it. And Rich brought this out real well concerning the husband. That a husband, because he's the head, doesn't mean he cracks the whip and dominates at all. That is not headship. That's totalitarianism. How do you say that? Totalitarianism. That's uh, dictatorship is what that is. That's oppressive, and that is not what God said. Uh, something I'll explain more later, but I'll just say this right now, that submission is never something that you have done to you or that you do to somebody else. Submission is something that you voluntarily give. You cannot force submission. If it's forced, it's not submission. Submission is a free will thing. And if a man is saying, submit, <laughs> he'll never get submission. You do not demand submission. Submission is given, never demanded. And if it's demanded, then it was not submission. All right? And it's the same thing in our country. We talk about freedoms, but freedoms uh, command responsibilities to go along with it. Somebody that says we're free... Now, you also have a responsibility to protect that freedom. You have a responsibility to other people. Your freedoms don't give you the right to infringe on somebody else's freedoms. There's responsibilities. Anytime, there's, there has to be submission to go along with freedom, with authority, with power. And our society, by and large, does not understand this today, and Christians are really deficient in this area, too. If, if we understood... Submission. Did you know we wouldn't have the church splits, fights, and things like this going on? We wouldn't have the marital problems, etc. Our society is really deficient in this area. If you go over to other countries of the world, I've been, you know, basically all around the world, and did you know there are very few places on the face of the earth with the degrees of rebellion that America has, and it comes because of a misunderstanding of liberty, freedoms, and lack of submission. You go to some Central American countries, you go to India and things like that, and did you know you don't have the problems? People will receive what you say. People are easily able to submit to the Word of God once they hear it. They may not have revelation of it, but when they hear the Word of God, they'll submit to it. The Word of God will produce, many times overseas, much more than it will in America, and it's because of this attitude of independence, uh, self-centeredness that keeps us from submitting and humbling ourselves under the mighty hand of God. So that's what I'd like to deal with because as Rich brought out, there is not Ephesians 5.21 and we're supposed to be submitted unto God. 
And so a lack of this submission attitude, selfless attitude, has been a real cause of problems in marriage. And Peter's dealing with this. There's a lot of scriptures we'll be talking about this morning. First Peter chapter 5, verse 1 says, The elders which are among you I exhort, who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed the flock which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly. Now, this all is applying to authority, all right, and, a, and headship. Like, for instance, there is a church authority. Uh, some people don't like this, but there's authority in anything you do. If you get two people together, there's authority. Did you know there's an authority system in this meeting right here? Did you know that if you got up and if you started saying your own thing and getting up, and I, even if you've got something good to say, if you started getting up and interrupting the flow of things, did you know that you could hinder what God's wanting to do here? You cannot have everybody saying their own thing. Even if what you say is good, there's a right and a wrong way to do it. There is a system of authority. I'm in a position of authority over this meeting. You may not even think of that, but I guarantee you I am. And if somebody stood up and started speaking and uh, doing something of the devil, I would be the one that would stand up and have to take the authority and deal with that. There's an authority system in anything you do. If you have a Bible study, there's a leadership. There's an authority system there. I was in a time management seminar two weeks ago, and they had us break up into groups, and they said, you all come up with a spokesman, and this spokesman has to come up with certain ideas. And so there was 20 of us standing there. None of us had ever met each other before. We were, you know, nobody knew each other. And we were just all standing around looking. <laughs> Who was going to be the leader? What do you do? Did you know that unless somebody took authority, unless somebody took a headship, a leadership role, we wouldn't have gotten anything done. You, anytime you have more than two people, there's got to be some leadership. And so I knew somebody was going to have to do something. So what I did, I leaned over to the guy next to me and I said, the first person to speak up and say something is the leader. That shows that he's a, he's a leader role. So he's wanting to get something done. And so he said, yeah. And so this guy says, well, somebody ought to be the leader. And we said, you're it. <laughs> and did you know that really it worked? That guy, because he said something, he was a leadership type. He got in, organized everything. We got our group finished and done before anybody else. There has to be an authority thing. There has to be a leadership anytime you have two people together. There's a leadership authority here. In church, there's authority system. There's a system of government. God ordained governments. Over in Romans chapter 13, the scripture there says, Submit yourself to every ordinance of man. Unto the king is supreme, or unto governors is those sent by him for the punishment of evildoers, because there is no power but those powers that be ordained of God. Now what does that mean? Does that mean that God ordained the Russian government? Does that mean that God ordained people who are saying that atheism is the state religion, that anybody who believes in God is of the devil and they've outlawed it? Does that mean that God ordained those things? That means that God ordained government. He did not necessarily ordain communist government, but he ordained the government system. And if that system has been perverted and turned into communism, you do not try and overthrow government. You don't try and beat the system. Rather, you try and reform it. You pray for them, pray for the people to be changed. You do a lot of things. But you do not operate in rebellion. I guarantee you, communism is superior to anarchy. And that's basically what God's saying is that there is a system of government. God did not ordain the way all governments are functioning, but God ordained government, and when you fight against government, you are fighting against an ordinance of God. Now, that government may not be functioning well at all. You can see that in the church. God ordained churches, and God ordained a system of government in church, but does that mean every church is functioning the way God wants? No. 
But what do you do? Do you come up and blast them and just say, man, they're all of the devil. Let's rebel at them. Let's break and start our own church. If you do, you're in rebellion towards God's system. There's a right and a wrong way to approach problems and to deal with them. The early New Testament churches, when they got criticized, when they got persecuted, you can read this in the fourth and the fifth chapter of the book of Acts. Peter and John were beaten, persecuted, and they suffered for the sake of the Lord, but they took it patiently. They left the presence of the council. The Bible says rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for the name of the Lord. Did you know at that time they had at least 8,000 Christians in Jerusalem? And that's just on the day of Pentecost and the healing of this man at the gate of the temple. There's no telling how many more. The Bible says the Lord was adding to the church daily. They had 800 totally sold out, stark raving mad fanatics, amen, in Jerusalem that were willing to do anything. Did you know that 8,000 people, and they were in total unity to the point of selling all of their goods, pooling their resources, doing whatever, they could have done nearly anything they'd have wanted to have done. They could have been militant if they would have wanted to. They could have gotten prayer and started praying down the Roman government, praying against Caiaphas, Annas, etc., Herod, the one who crucified Jesus, etc. They could have come against these people. They could have done a lot of things. And instead, they started praying for those people and praying that God would just make them witnesses, rejoice that they were counted worthy to suffer. They prayed, they blessed the people that persecuted them. And we may look at that and say, well, man, they should have been more political. They should have done this. But did you know within a hundred years, the whole Roman government had changed within, I think it was, I'm not real good on my history, but I think it was within 200 years that the Roman government had turned around and they endorsed Christianity. Christianity became the world religion, which a lot of that was hypocritical. But nonetheless, I mean, the whole political scene had totally changed. Griping and complaining, revolt, speaking rebellion will never bring to pass that kind of results. Amen. It's the same principles we were talking about in finances. They may not have got there. They may have still been persecuted the next day, the next week, or the next year, but in the end result, they changed the entire course of history for the rest of the time because of their loving those people and redressing things in God's system. Amen? I haven't got time. Man, I'm getting way off the subject. But anyway point is that government is established of God. So he's speaking to these people in the church, and in verse 2 he says, Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. In other words, this is talking about uh, your motives behind it. You can't do it for ulterior motives. And I tell you, it's hard for us to look at you and say that this is wrong and that is wrong because there's certain things that you can do that maybe you're doing the exact right things, but your motive behind it is totally unpure. God is the only one, and you and God are the only ones that really know your own motives, but it's stressing that it should be of a proper motive. In verse 3, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being examples to the flock. And this is exactly the way that the husband is supposed to take the headship. Not as a lord, not cracking the whip, not saying, you submit to me. Didn't you hear what they said at this marriage seminar? And I'm, it's rather, it's an example. And I'll deal with this more in just a minute. But the way to gain obedience is not by demanding, but rather it's by becoming a servant. Jesus taught that if you will humble yourself before people, people will fall down at your feet and do whatever you want them to do when you learn to serve other people through love. Now, that goes contrary to our thinking. That goes contrary to the way that we've always done things, but I'll be dealing with that and verifying that a lot more. In verse 4, it says, And when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. And here's another system of government. Boy, did you know God's got so many systems of government. There is a civil government, there's church government, there's family government, there's government when we come to a meeting like this. There is employer, employee, government. 
uh, on and on you could go. And there's also age government that you're supposed to respect people that are older than you. And uh, on and on you could go. God got so many different ways of us submitting one to another that if we were wise and understood God's system, we had finally learned our lesson, amen, because there's a lot of different ways that God is seeking to bring control to our life. And so he says, likewise, you want younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility, for God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. And God right here dealing with the subject of submission one to another brings humility and pride into it. And this is what we dealt with yesterday. Did you know that the real root cause of not being submitted one to another the real root cause of a wife not being able to submit to her husband's authority. Now, you may say that it's because he's not a proper leader. He's not worth submitting to. Amen. He's not a good role model. You could name a lot of different things, but the real root cause of a lack of submission is pride. Self-sufficiency, the fact that I am better, I can do it better than them. Why should I submit to anybody else? Self-sufficiency, self-centeredness is the root of rebellion. Now I interchange the word rebellion and lack of submission interchangeably because that is true. If you are not in submission, you're in rebellion. They're opposites and you can't have one. It's not a combination of the two. It's either one or the other. You are either submitted to the system of government that God established in a home or you're in rebellion to it. Rebellion can even be done in the ignorance. Now, when a person knows what they're doing and they willfully rebel at it, now that's a lot worse. There are varying degrees of rebellion, but rebellion can be done in ignorance. You may not have really been aware of God's proper system of order in the home, how it's supposed to operate, but you still, if you have not submitted to it, there is still rebellion and there is a rebellious attitude that needs to be dealt with. It'll be easier to dealt with if it was done through ignorance, but nonetheless, it still is rebellion and it's deadly. Let's look over here in 1 Samuel chapter 15. First Samuel chapter 15. Saul was the king over Israel, and Saul had already rebelled at God. He was not submitted unto God, which I believe Tina also brought out that, you know, love is expressed in actions. If you love me, keep my commandments. He that says that he loves me and keeps not my commandments is a liar, and the truth isn't in him. Out of 1 John chapter 2, I believe, verse 4. And so actions display whether you are in rebellion or whether you're in submission. Paul, by his actions, was rebelling towards God. He was not submissive to what God had called him to do. And there was a, there was a number of instances. Anyway, here, God had already, because of Saul's actions, rejected him from being king. And here in the 15th chapter, in verse 1, it says, uh, Samuel also said unto Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint thee to be king over his people, over Israel. Now therefore hearken thou unto the voice of the words of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I remember what Amalek did to Israel, how that he laid wait for him in the way when he came up from Egypt. Now go and smite Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and spare them not, but slay both man and woman, infant and suckling, ox and sheep, camel and ass. And Saul gathered the people together and numbered them in T, whatever the name of that place is, 200,000 footmen and 10,000 men of Judah. And Saul came to the city of Amalek and laid wait in the valley. 
Now, I haven't got time to go back and give you all the details, but if you were to see what Amalek and these people had done to the children of Israel, uh, this was a judgment of God upon them. It was not unrighteous, uh, of course. God was doing the right thing, and I mean, he was going to wipe out every man, woman, and child, even the animals. God told them to destroy them. So Saul went down to do this. And Saul went down, and in a nutshell, I'll sum some of this up. What he did, he, he did destroy the uh, nation, but he saved some of the women. And some, let me see, what did he save? I'm not sure he saved some of the women, but he did save the king. He saved Agag, the king, and then he took the best of the sheep, in verse 9, and of the oxen, and of the fatlings, and of the lambs, all of those things that were good, and he brought those back. Now, when he came back, in verse 10, this is what uh, the Lord said unto Samuel. The word of the Lord came unto Samuel, saying, It repenteth me that I have set up Saul to be king, for he has turned back from following me, and hath not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel, and he cried unto the Lord all night. And when Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning, it was told Samuel, saying, Saul came to Carmel, and behold, he sent him up a place, and has gone about and passed on and gone down to Gilgal. And Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said unto him, Blessed be thou the Lord, I have performed the commandment of the Lord. Did you know that he was in some deception here? And many times when we're in rebellion towards God, we can rationalize it and uh, excuse a lot of our actions and not really recognize the rebellion that we're in. That's exactly the case with Saul. And he said, I performed the commandment of the Lord. And Samuel said, What meaneth then this bleeding of the sheep in mine ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? In other words, he had commanded him to destroy everything, even the animals. And he says, If you perform the word of the Lord, then why am I hearing this bleeding of the sheep and lowing of the oxen? In other words, he's saying, Look, your actions don't bear out what you're saying. You know, without going into detail on this, I'd just like to say that I've talked to so many people and I, I, I'll see a need in their life, like to submit. Now, there's many other things, but I'm just talking about in context what we're saying. I can see that they aren't really in submission. They've never really developed the true attitude of submission one to another. They don't really love their mate. And I'll begin to say something about that, and they'll say, Oh, I'm submitted. And yet their actions are just totally opposite, you know. And, and it's, in effect, the same situation right here. You just want to tell them, say, Look, if you're submitted, then why are you doing this? And just begin to start telling them things in their life. That's what Samuel was doing to Saul. Saul said, oh, I performed the word of the Lord. And so Samuel says, well, then why is all of this bleeding of the sheep and lowing of the oxen? And Saul said, they have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God, and the rest we have utterly destroyed. Then Samuel said unto Saul, stay, and I will tell thee what the Lord hath said to me this night. And he said unto him, say on. And Samuel said, when thou wast little in thine own eyes, wast thou not made the head of the tribes of Israel? And the Lord anointed thee king over all Israel. And the Lord set thee on a journey and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they be consumed. Wherefore then didst thou not obey the voice of the Lord, but didst fly upon the spoil, and didst evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said unto Samuel, Yea, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord, and have gone the way which the Lord sent me, and have brought Agag the king of the Amalekites, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people took of the spoil, sheep and oxen, the chief of the thing utterly destroyed, to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God in Gilgal. And Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. 
Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he also hath rejected thee from being king. Now, if you would be honest and put yourself into this situation, did you know most of us would have probably, first of all, said, Saul, why didn't you do what God told you to do? And then when he says, well, we did do it, but instead of just utterly destroying them and letting it go for waste, we brought back these uh, animals as a sacrifice unto the Lord. Isn't that better than just killing them? We're going to still kill them, but we're going to do it now as a sacrifice unto the Lord. Most of us would have said, oh, I didn't understand. I, yeah, I guess that'll be all right. Most of us would have said, well, your heart's right. Maybe you didn't use the proper wisdom, but you meant well. Samuel turned around and says it was a rebellion. Rebellion can come in different forms, but rebellion is simply doing things your way instead of being submitted to God and obedient unto what God says. Rebellion is not always, God, I defy you, and I don't care what you say, I'm going to do it my way. Now, that is rebellion, but did you know rebellion is also saying, well, you know, I believe what God says, but we need to interpret that, and uh, we need to apply it. You know, we're modern today. Things are different today. Our society is different than when the Bible was written, and so therefore we've got to make a few modifications, and I'm still going to get the same thing done, but maybe not exactly the way it looks like on the surface that you're supposed to do it. Did you know that's rebellion? And Samuel was saying unto Saul, he says, Rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Now let's bring this down home where we are. We've been talking about some things that God has said concerning our marriage. And you've got a choice to submit, to humble yourself and receive what God has to say, or continuing on your own way. You may not look at it and say, well, I'm not totally rebellious. It's just that, I, you know, that's not me. That's not the way I do things. Did you know that's rebellion? Rebellion is doing your own thing, being self-willed, self-centered, not submitting yourself under the authority. God established roles in the marriage. God established government in the marriage. And exactly as Rich said, it does not mean that one person is superior to the other. This man in this little group at this time management thing that took leadership, he's not better than anybody else. He was just a spokesman for the group. And there was a system of government and authority. A husband is not superior to the wife, but he has a position of authority that supersedes the wife. God established that. That is not a, a archaic attitude. That is not just male chauvinism, I think is the way you say that word. That is something that God established from day one. God established the man to be the head of that marriage. God established a woman to submit. And whether that goes along with our society today or not has nothing to do with it. God established those roles, and a person who is not submitted to that, a person who is not complying with those things, are in rebellion towards God. And rebellion is like witchcraft. And stubbornness, doing our own thing, is like idolatry. Those are some strong, strong statements. Most people don't look at things that way. But when you start looking at it from God's standpoint, I guarantee you the, the breakdown in submitting to the position that God has given the husband and the wife in marriage is a very, very strong offense, and it gives tremendous inroad of Satan into your life. My sister uh, is a spirit-filled Christian. Her husband's uh, don't know what he is. He's a super nice man. He's, he's a thousand times nicer than she is, whether he's born again or not. He's got it together a lot more than my sister does. But my sister's a spirit-filled Christian. Has prayed and seen people raised from the dead. 
knows a lot of the Word of God, sees some good things happen, but has had a continual problem with my niece, uh, my oldest niece. She, my sister was demon-possessed, had all kinds of demonic things, would lock herself in the closet for hours with a butcher knife, threatening to kill herself when my niece was little tiny. Anyway, as a result, uh, my niece has terrible rebellion problems. I mean, to the point they would have knocked down drag-out fights. My sister has knocked her down lots of times. My niece has fought my sister. My niece now has been married twice, just got married again recently, and is living a totally... Uh, very similar to what Tina was talking about, living in total rebellion, all kinds of bad situations. So my sister, all of a sudden, last year, had some tumors show up in her breast. Her husband had uh, headaches, has asthma problems, breathing problems, just all kinds of sickness and diseases. Things were coming to pass in their life so fast. Uh, losing his job, he's got a doctor's degree, a professor, all of these kind of things, and just everything falling apart. And I mean, it was more than just... Uh, normal type of things. It was directly demonic to things coming against them. She knows faith. She prayed. She's seen people healed. She released her faith. She's prayed for her husband and everything was getting worse instead of better. And she couldn't understand why. What's the hindrance? So she went to this church and to a ladies Bible study and they were praying and she went up and asked for prayer and told them the sickness, the disease, the possible cancer that she had and other things and asked for prayer. So these ladies stood around and prayed, and the pastor's wife began to start praying and rebuking witchcraft. And my sister, you'd have to know my sister, but she's a lot of things. But one thing she is not, she does not put on a front for anybody or anything. And she stopped right in the middle, and she says, wait a minute, you missed it. I don't have any witchcraft in my house. Says, man, we have burned Ouija boards. We've taken a stand. I don't believe in any of this kind of stuff. She says, we do not have witchcraft. And his pastor's wife looked at her for a second and says, well, do you have any rebellion in your home? And boy, my sister, oh man, do I ever have rebellion in my home? And she began to start telling about the terrible rebellion. And she turned over here to this scripture, rebellion is as a sin of witchcraft. And she likened the two, and they broke that. And did you know my sister was healed? My brother-in-law's healed? Things have worked out. And that was the stronghold in that family was this spirit of rebellion that was going on in that home. Now see, many of us, we wouldn't allow witchcraft. You wouldn't allow your children to operate in seances. Man, if your children were operating in seances, if they were communicating with the dead and reading tea leaves and doing all of these kind of things, man, some of us get up in the air over dungeons and dragons. I'm not about to let my kids have that, which I agree. I don't let my kids have that. But you get upset over that and you allow rebellion just to run rampant in your home and not understand that rebellion and witchcraft are the same thing. There's no difference between the two. You might as well have your kids operating in the occult as to let them be rebellious. Rebellion is an inroad of Satan. Rebellion is self-willed Self-seeking, rebellion is an affront to God like very few things are. Rebellion is something totally against the nature of God. As Rich was teaching over here, Jesus, who if anybody had the right to be self-willed, be self-centered and do his own thing, Jesus could have done whatever he wanted to. And yet Jesus learned obedience unto the Father by the things that he suffered over in Hebrews chapter 2. In Philippians chapter 2 it says, He being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God but made himself of no reputation. He emptied himself and became a man and being found in fashion as a man he became a servant unto us and humbled himself. Jesus humbled himself. Submission is a characteristic of God. God is submitted unto us. Did you know the reason that you just don't automatically get healed? Lots of people wonder about this. Well, I prayed. How come I'm not healed? Why didn't God heal me? Because God has given you power and has submitted unto us in certain areas. 
It's not up to God to heal us. God's already produced the healing, gave us that power, and it's in our control. God has submitted certain things under our control, and if we don't know the laws that govern, and it's not God who's failing to heal, it's us. He gave us so much power, so much authority. He's committed so much to us that if we're ignorant of what God's given us, we stop our own self from being healed and from receiving from God. God's nature is to submit. It's to give. God's nature is to make himself vulnerable. Did you know when God created the heavens and the earth, he didn't set it up on a system as I give you a limited conditional authority. And as long as you do what I want you to do with it, everything will be fine. But the moment you blow it, boy, I'm going to take back all this authority. God submitted himself unto mankind to such a degree that he allowed mankind to put himself in a position where it threw off the whole system of God. God gave us an unlimited control over this earth to the point that when we blew it, Man, God did not take back the authority. He didn't say, King's X, this isn't what I meant. I take it all back. No, it was unconditional, whether we used it or misused it. That's the way God is. God submits to us. Did you know, I've got a teaching entitled uh, The Love Series, four tapes on love. And what we do is take Ephesians chapter 5, talking about the husband and wife relationship. And we apply it directly to the Lord because there in that same chapter, the Bible says, this is a great mystery, how be it I speak concerning Christ and his church. And so really the point between Ephesians chapter 5 behind it is concerning us and the Lord. Husband and wife is a perfect parallel, but the real point he's speaking of is concerning our relationship with God. So I start taking these same things and apply them towards God in the same way as there is a submission on the husband's part to the wife. Wife, submit yourselves unto your husband, but it says submit yourselves one to another. Did you know that God submitted himself to us? There's certain things that he cannot or you, you, he will not or you could say cannot do because he submitted them unto us. God's not going to rebuke the devil and cast him out. He gave you that authority and power and if you don't resist the devil, he won't flee from you because God has submitted, committed that power unto us. And we just go through here and you know the parallel is tremendous. It would really bless you to take advantage of those tapes. But God submits himself. God loves demands that you submit yourself, that you make yourself vulnerable to another person. And some of us, because of past hurts, because of the way we've been taken advantage of, there are some of us that have never put ourselves in a position where we can be hurt. We put ourselves in a position, man, that the first time things begin to go wrong, we'll lash out. We have never really submitted. We've never put ourselves in a position that that person can take advantage of us. We're always jockeying for position in our marriage, trying to get the top of the hill where we're in control. And did you know that that's an attitude of rebellion? Here in 1 Samuel chapter 15, if you'll back up here to verse 17, when Samuel was speaking to Saul, he said unto him, When thou wast little in thine own sight, wast thou not made the head of the tribes of Israel, and the Lord anointed thee king over Israel? You know what he's saying? He says, Saul, when you were humble is when God exalted you. But when you got exalted... You lost your dependency upon God. You got the feeling that you could do it yourself. And so therefore, when God gave Saul a commandment of how to go destroy the Amalekites, Saul was going to comply with it, but in his own way. You know what caused that was pride. Saul had a better idea than God. Saul could see a better way. God, what you're saying is all right, but I've got a better idea. Did you know that that's an attitude of rebellion and that's an attitude that every last one of us has? Every last one of us. Now, if you'd be honest, how many times have you done something and when it's over with and you fall flat of your face and you've recognized you failed, you look back, God was telling you that you should have done it differently all along and you were self-willed. 
You know what that is? That's rebellion. It comes because of an attitude that is prevalent in every relationship in our life and nearly everything that we do that has not been dealt with. It's this independence that I'm my own boss. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. My husband's not going to violate my rights. My wife can't make me do this. I've got rights. You know what that is? That's an attitude of rebellion. When you got born again, or let me say it this way, when you got married, if you entered into the covenant the way that you were supposed to, you wavered your rights. If you're wanting your rights, and if you don't want your rights to be violated, the only way that's ever going to happen is for you to be single. Because I promise you, when you get married, somebody that you're married to is going to violate your rights sooner or later. They're going to do something that doesn't sit well with you. And if you're going to demand your rights, then you're going to be by yourself. We need to recognize that I submitted myself unto my mate. And it's not a 50-50 relationship where she gives 50% and I give 50. I am 100% submitted unto her and she's 100% submitted unto me. You know, the Bible reflects this in scriptures like over in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 3, where Paul says that the husband has not power over his own body, neither does the wife have power over her own body. Did you know, even in the sexual relationship, you do not have the right and the power to withhold your relationship, to withhold yourself. A person that has not yielded themselves like that hasn't submitted themselves. There's an attitude of rebellion there, whether it's intentional or whatever. We're supposed to be submitted one to another. There's an attitude here. And it comes through pride, self-centeredness, the fact that I'm in control. We do not like to be submitted unto another, especially, again, I say in America, we pride ourselves on the fact that we're free and we're independent, and yet there is no such thing as freedom the way that many people look at it today. There is no such thing as nobody tells me what to do. That's foolish. Everybody has somebody to tell them what to do. And if you are so independent that nobody tells you what to do, you are a wreck fixing to happen. I promise you. Because God ordained government. We're supposed to be submitting one to another. Did you know that this is the reason that so many spirit-filled word churches today are having problems? Is because they came out of an old denominational system where there was control, but it wasn't God's control. It was oppressive. I mean, to the point that you took a group of people and submitted a ministry under them, and they may not have had a call of God on their life. They didn't know anything about God's leading, and they were out here just totally carnal man, and the man of God might have had a vision from God, and he couldn't do it because the deacon board didn't agree with it, and he was totally shackled. Now, that's not what the Bible teaches, but the Bible does teach authority. So many times you see an overreaction to where the pastor is so complete, 100% authority, he is not answerable to anybody, nobody has any input, he hires and fires, he does what he wants to, he is not submitted unto any other minister, any other ministry, no apostles, nothing. The guy is totally an independent, and I can promise you it's just a matter of time that a situation like that will fail. And I haven't been around a real long time, but I've been around long enough that I've seen hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of word churches fail because there was no means of accountability in that ministry. God did not establish that. Everybody should be accountable unto somebody else. Everybody should have somebody that they're submitted to. Amen? Some of you are looking at me like, Brother, this is not what I want to hear. <laughs> this is what you need to hear. It's not what you want to hear, but it's what you need to hear. God established government, and he commanded us to submit ourselves. Man, I am pressed for time. I'm just getting into introduction. Uh, how do I say all of this in just a few minutes? 
Let me say that in the husband-wife relationship, there's supposed to be a submission on both of our parts. And I really hate to emphasize one more than the other, but I feel that there has been a real abuse, misuse of a woman submitting herself unto a man. So I'd like to zero in on that. I am not saying that a man does not have an area of submission unto his wife. There is. But the woman submission unto the husband has been preached on more than the man's and the woman's has been misused and it's become a very oppressive type of thing and uh, there is an attitude in the body of Christ today that again is an overreaction I believe just like we saw from the people who at one time where churches were totally controlled by a deacon board which is not God's system to a place where now they're so footloose and fancy free nobody can critique them nobody knows what's going on they are totally independent that's wrong it's just as wrong as the other side there's a ditch on both sides of a country road did you know that and in an effort to get out of this one you may get in the other ditch over here the right way is to drive right down the middle of the road and there's a truth in submission and in oppression and and you can't have either one of them there's got to be a balance between it and so many people have come out of this what is called discipleship uh, submission covering type of teaching I don't know how many of you have been uh, submitted to that Derek Prince Bob Mumford Charles Simpson a lot of these people really preached that back in the 60s and uh, recently uh, uh, Bob Yandian was talking with Derek Prince, had a meeting with him over in England, and they talked about these things. And Derek Prince was saying, we never intended people to take it the way we were saying. Man, the way it was implemented was not what we meant. And they, they've admitted we made mistakes in presenting it. Not that their real intent was wrong, but they didn't present it in a balance. People abused it, and even the people who brought that stuff to the forefront are saying it was never intended the way people took it. And so I want to zero in on that and share some things from Scripture about a woman's submission. And again, I'm just saying I'm sorry that I have to single up on one side and not give equal time to the man, but I think that there's been a greater abuse on the woman's side, so that's what I'm going to deal with. Let's look over here in Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. Rich has already read these and gone through them today. But in verse 21, it says, Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. There is not a submission on one part only. When we start talking about submission, I'm going to have to say this real quick. Man, I got, I've got a two-tape series on submission that would really bless you, talking about civil government, church government, and then the home, husband and wife submitting themselves unto each other. But when you start talking about submission, submission is not something that can be dictated or forced. It is something that is willfully given. And if, they, if you are not submitting yourselves one to another, it is impossible for a woman to submit herself 100% totally, properly, according to the Word of God, to a man who is not submitted unto the wife and unto God. It's going to be a limited situation. Uh, submission has to be a two-way thing. You cannot submit yourself totally. Now, you can submit yourself, but not totally unto a person who is not also submitted unto you. And boy, when he said that, God just drilled it home to me that God sat in the church, teachers. And up until this time, my whole ministry had been outside the church because there wasn't, I had never, I ministered for over three years and never had a single invitation to come into a church. And I wouldn't have had a ministry had I not just gone out and started renting halls and facilities and ministry. I ministered for over three years on, uh, you know, many radio stations before I ever got an invite into the church. The church 
is the way that God would have liked for the teaching ministry to be established, but the church was so dead and so complacent and into their own problems, God, for a period of time, circumvented that. And he used full gospel businessmen, he used traveling ministries, etc., etc., and he got the word to the people anyway. But that wasn't God's best. And now that the churches are beginning to uh, spring up and flow with what God's got for them, I guarantee you every teaching ministry is going back into the church because that's the way God ordained. Kenneth Copeland's crowds are half what they used to be because the church is now fulfilling those needs. Our, our meetings in places have decreased, and I don't think it's the fact that people aren't receiving, but it's that the church is ministering to people, and that's the way that it should be. And so the teaching ministry uh, should be in the church. God showed me that five or six years ago, and I went to the pastor of the church in Colorado Springs where I was going. And I, I went up to him, and I just told him, I said, I love you, and I said, I want to submit this teaching ministry, it's a gift of God, and it needs to be in the church. And I want to submit it to this church. I want it to be for the use and the benefit of this church. I want to come under your authority. I want to submit myself to you. And my attitude was right. And I told this guy, I said, look, I am not looking for a place to teach. I turned down, you know, ten invitations for every one I get. I said, I don't need a place to teach. I'm not looking for a place to minister. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm just talking about a spiritual thing between you and me, uh, based on the scriptures there in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Well, anyway, to make this long story short, this minister, we're still friends today and everything, but he did not respect me. He did not. He saw me as a threat. He was insecure himself. He saw me as a threat, and he did not want to give me any recognition. He didn't want to say that, man, this teaching ministry is a part of this body. And instead, he began to criticize, and uh, on and on it went. I ministered in his church one time, and he spent two months after I left telling everybody how I missed it and what I said was wrong because I said that the heart of man was the combination of spirit and soul, and he says the heart of man is the spirit. Big deal. Who cares? Amen. <laughs> I mean, I believe that the heart of man is a spirit and soul combination, but I mean, big deal. I'm not going to fight over it or anything like that. He, he was just insecure, and he fought against me, and so as a result, I went, and I was serious. I wanted to submit. And yet, there was, no there was nothing reciprocated on his part. I couldn't submit. I couldn't benefit him in that church, and I couldn't be a blessing to that body the way that I felt God wanted me to because there was no submission in return. So I did submit. I did bless him as much as I could, but it was very limited. It certainly didn't fulfill me at all. Then God showed me, it's a long, period, long process of time, but God showed me a number of things, put me in, a, in a contact with the man that I'm now in his church. He's my pastor. Four years ago, this pastor used to preach to people and say that Hagen and Copeland and all this kind of stuff was of the devil. God doesn't do that. He taught God put things on you to teach you something. And he was violent against me. The demos here know who I'm talking about. They had a run-in with this guy and uh, just bad situation back and forth. And so anyway, that's the way it was. We had a minister's group that meets together every Tuesday morning that I go to. And through this minister's group, Dan began to recognize that I wasn't as much of the devil as he thought I was of the devil. And I began to recognize he wasn't as bad as I'd heard about him. And we began to start fellowshipping together. One time I stood up in front of a group and taught on hardness of heart for 20 minutes. And this man stood up in front of the whole group and he just began to cry and he said, my God, I've been preaching doubt and unbelief. I've been condemning this and I don't even know what I'm talking about. He humbled himself, repented, and said, I'm sorry. And our relationship began to grow and he began to come to me and he says, man, you know, I've been wrong and you've been right. He invited me to come minister at his church. And I got up in front of his church in front of 600 and something people and he says, I want you to know I've said that this man is of the devil. What he teaches is of the devil. I've been against him. I've openly criticized him. But I want you to know I'm wrong and he's right. I've been teaching you wrong and he's got the truth. You submit to him and not to me. That's the way he introduced me. Just blew me away. I thought, man, faith people would never do this. 
Well, that would undermine their authority. They'd lose control. Man, you got to rule with a rod iron and show that and you're the man of God. You can't admit that you've been wrong. It just blew me away. And th so through another few months, anyway, God worked some things together and God showed me we were supposed to be together. We came in. I am now an elder in that church. He's got a plurality of eldership, six elders. And it is not a one-man rules thing. If one of those elders isn't in total agreement with what's being done, they can say, I disagree and nothing can be done until we come into total harmony or God strikes that person dead or moves them out or something. <laughs> total agreement before it happens. He put me, a person he'd been preaching against for four or five years, in a position where I could stop anything that was going to happen in that church. He submitted himself unto me to such a degree that it was scary to me about the responsibility that he was giving me. And so guess what? It was easy for me to submit myself unto him and yield myself unto him. I brought my ministry into his ministry. We've married our ministries together. We share resources. We share personnel. He has brought his staff into my staff. And at one time, he had the ability to hire and fire, to do whatever. He hired Dale, our general manager back here. I walked in one day and met Dale. And I'd seen him before, but I'd forgotten what he looked like. I mean, Dan hired him. Dan did all of these kind of things. Dan ran the ministry. He had the ability to hire and fire. He wrote the checks. I couldn't spend money. Dan took control of that. I submitted my ministry unto him because he was submitted unto me. See, there's a, for, for it to work properly, and we now have a submission going, which I'll try and make this brief, but I tell you, I could minister for hours talking about what I've learned of submission through this man. But uh, he is very strong in business sense, practical leadership. He ministers to man real well. In our church, there's uh, well... High, more percentage of men than there are women. One of the few churches I've ever seen like that. There are many more men, and nearly every one of the business leaders in our town are in that church because he is a man, he is a strong man, and he ministers to man, he's a leader, and people respond to it. So he's got some real strong points, but he's got some very, very weak points. And his weak points are that he is so sufficient in himself as a leader that he can do it on his own and tends not to depend upon God. So Dan will go days and sometimes weeks without praying or studying the Word. He is not dependent upon God the way that he should be. And in a lot of ways, Dan is carnal, very carnal. And uh, I'm not telling you anything I hadn't told Dan and talked about. And so I've been in a position of receiving, see, for a long period of time. And just within the last three or four months, God spoke to me and told me some things about that I needed to start giving to Dan. He has asked me before about, you know, what's wrong. He asked me, what's wrong with this church? Why aren't we seeing people minister to? And I just told him, you know, this wasn't the proper answer. It was, it was a crack in the door, but I should have said more. I missed my opportunity. And I said, well, Danny's church is just like you. There's a problem with it, amen. I said, it's a perfect reflection of it. But anyway, Dan's asked me to help him. So for over the last three or four months, God told me, says, you need to start talking to him, and you need to just flat tell Dan that his relationship with God stinks. He needs to get his personal life together. He needs to get his priorities right. He needs to let the life of God go flowing through him and not take sermons out of something he preached five years ago and just pick one out and preach it and do all of these things. He needs to lay aside his charts and his graphs. <laughs> Boy, with Dan, if attendance is up and finances are up, everything's fine. It doesn't matter if everybody's dying going to hell or, you know. Like, that's an exaggeration, but you know what I'm talking about. I mean, those charts and graphs, boy, are it. So anyway, I've been praying for him for three months, saying, God, let me share this with him in a way that he can receive it. And I had to share with him that basically, Dan, you, you've got the carnal together, but your spiritual life stinks. And that's not easy to share. And so I've been praying. And you know what happened? 
Dan was up in front of the church preaching, and he was, I forgot what he was preaching on, but anyway, he got off on relationships, and he got to talking about, you know, it's not important what your charts and graphs look like. It's not important about whether you're seeing this happen or that happen. It's about you and God. What's it between you and God? And in front of 600 people, he just says, you know, my relationship with God stinks. <laughs> and he says, man, I don't have relationship with God. He says, I'm carnal. And he just began to break down in front of the whole church and say, I'm carnal. Your pastor's carnal. He says, I don't... He said, I don't have any business telling you what to do. And he just began to humble himself in front of the whole thing. So after church was over, he came up and he was talking to me. He says, brother, what do you think about that? And I said, well, Dan, for three months I've been praying. And God showed me I had to share those things with you. And he says, why didn't you tell me instead of me having to confess this in front of 600 people? But anyway, I gave Dan my series of tapes that I did last time I was here in Phoenix, teaching on relationship and priorities. And Dan has listened to him, and that man has just... I mean, he's flip-flopped. He's humbled himself. He's seeking God. Man, he's praying. He's in the Word. He's been coming to me and saying, Brother, I... He said, and he explained why he was this way. You know, I'm, I'm actually... I feel like I'm off the subject, but I know I'm not. I know that this is ministering to people, and so I'll continue. But he has a problem very similar to what Rich and Tina, you know, were talking about. The reason Dan is the way that he is is because he was conceived out of wedlock. His parents were married when he was born, but the whole thing was conceived out of wedlock. His father hated him, and his father told him when he... The first thing he can remember his father saying is, I hate you. And his father just hated him, didn't have a good relationship at all. And as a result, Dan always tried to perform and earn his father's acceptance. When he was in high school, he was driving a Corvette that he bought with his money because he was such a performer. He went out and he began to start, some of these younger kids couldn't buy the booze and the cigarettes. He'd go buy it and sell it to them for a profit. And he was black marketing all of these things. He was driving a Corvette that he bought with his money. By the time he was 28 years old, he had over a million and a half dollars worth of assets. He had become a prosperous, he, he was a wheeler and dealer. That guy can take a dime and turn it into a dollar any day. He is a wheeler and dealer, but he became, he became performance-oriented. Everything's do this, do this. He never had relationship. It was always performance. My performance gains me relationship, which was totally wrong, and he translated that with God. He had put his whole life into building a church, having good charts and graphs and things like this, but he didn't know God, no relationship with God. And he's admitted those things and confessed it, and I guarantee you Dan's seeking after God. And I've been open with him and told him, I said, Dan, you're crisis-oriented. Every time you get in a hard spot is when he prospers. When our ministry was $120,000 in the hole and they were telling us we were going to have to close the doors any day, Dan loved it. He was down at our ministry every day looking at the charts and the graphs and doing this, and he was just thriving. When we got a $60,000 gift came in and then other things happened and uh, we've come out of financial problems, Dan came to me and he says, I just lost all desire to be a part of that ministry. He says, no challenge anymore, no crisis. <laughs> and so he turned it over and Dale's taking it over. But see, Dan is crisis-oriented. When he's... When Dan is pressed is when Dan does good. You back him in a corner and that guy will come out fighting. But you know where Satan destroys him is when everything's good. When there's prosperity, when things are going good, when his charts and graphs are up is when Dan is as carnal as he can be. And he's admitted it and recognized it. So I told him, I said, Dan, the real test is not going to be when God has just broken you and you've fallen down before him. The test is going to be when things improve. And did you know since he's seen that in about a month's time, our attendance is up over 100 and he hasn't preached a single time since the Lord showed him this. We've had guest speakers coming in, etc. It hasn't been that he's reflected this openly and told people. It's just when he got his relationship with God straightened out. Did you know attendance is up over 100? Finances are up. We're busting at the same. God's doing some good things. There's new direction and vision for the ministry. 
On and on it goes. Uh, everything's working. And I told him just this last week, I said, Dan, the real test is going to be now that all of the charts are up and all the graphs are good, whether you'll continue to seek God. That's where the real crunch comes. I forgot why I got off on all of this, except Dan has a humble attitude. Dan has submitted himself to me. And therefore, it's easy for me to submit myself to Dan. And we have a relationship, really, where I have come, I have position to come. And I mean, I'm saying this openly in front of people. Dan would not fear if I, he was sitting right here. I've said everything I've said to Dan. Dan would stand up and be the first one to tell you the weaknesses in him. That looks like a weak person. That looks like an insecure. That looks like, man, he, you know, how's he going to rule and lead? And yet I've learned through him that that is the most secure man. Anybody would be crazy to challenge his authority in that church. Because I can't accuse Dan of anything that he hasn't said openly in front of people. He doesn't have any skeletons in the closet. That guy is just as open as he can be. And despite his faults, there's not a person in that church that would submit to me and follow me over Dan because Dan has humbled himself and become a servant. By becoming a servant, he's gained the respect of all. And people have responded to that. What I'm saying is that's, that's an attitude of submission. And it's easy to submit when you find somebody else that has done that. That's the way that a husband is supposed to be. A husband is supposed to lay down his life for his wife, even as Christ did for the church, even to the point of taking their blame. How did Christ handle us? How did Christ love the church? Do you know, he took our blame. Jesus, instead of pointing the finger at us and saying, no, you missed it. The Father's wrath, he stepped in and took the Father's wrath for us and bore that blame. And you know why I serve Jesus? Well, not because he's got me under his thumb and do it or I'm going to squash you. But I do it because I've seen how he's first of all submitted himself to me. I've seen how he's first of all loved me and that's the reason that I'm loving him. That's, that's what has caused me to submit myself unto God. Love is a superior motivation to fear any day. And unless we have this relationship of submission one to another, you're never going to see it function properly. Boy, I'm running out of time fast. I, I have not said a single thing I was intending to say. But it's been good. Yeah. Let's look here in the 20... You're still in Ephesians chapter 5? Yeah. If you hadn't found Ephesians 5 by now, you might as well quit looking. <laughs> in verse 22, it says, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. Now, this submission teaching that went around basically was saying that women in general submit themselves to men in general, that women in general are inferior to men in general. And that is nowhere, nowhere, nowhere established in the Scriptures. That is a totally wrong concept. Every Scripture that talks about a woman submitting will, respond, will refer to submitting herself unto the husband. Or one instance in, in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 14 doesn't mention the husband specifically, but it says, do this as also saith law. You can't go and find an Old Testament example where it says women are supposed to be in submission unto man in general, but you can find where the husband will rule over the wife in Genesis chapter 3. So anyway, even that reference in a subtle way is referring to husband-wife relationship. There is no such thing as a woman in here being in subjection to me. No woman in here is in subjection to me other than my wife, and then even men and women should be in subjection unto me as maybe as a spokesman, a leader of this meeting. But I'm talking about husband-wife, uh, man-woman relationship. There's only one woman in here that's in subjection to me. And boy, you need to get that clear. Women are not inferior to men. 
I had a woman one time that I went to a Baptist encampment. I was 18 years old, and she was under this kind of teaching. And uh, anyway, her husband left to go home early, and I was driving this car full of women. She was 45 years old or something. I was 18. I was driving them back home uh, from this camp, and her car broke down. And she started to get upset. Oh, no, it's a water pump. What am I going to do? You know, how am I going to fix this? I don't know anything much about cars. And then finally she looked at me and she says, my husband's not here. You're the man, so you're in control. It's your problem. And she threw this thing over on me. And I thought, my problem? I'm 18 years old. I wasn't mechanic. I didn't know anything about it. I didn't know if she had any money, if she had a credit card. I didn't know what she was going to pay with. She wouldn't tell me nothing, wouldn't do nothing. It's your problem. You're in authority. You know, it took me 24 hours to get that car fixed. I didn't know where to go. I didn't know how to look up anything in the yellow pa- I just fumbled around, and that was stupidity. God never intended for a 45-year-old woman who she could have handled it much better than I could have submitted herself to an 18-year-old man because I was male and she was female. And that's stupidity. That's ignorance gone to seed. That is not what the Scripture says. <laughs> It says, wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. Verse 23, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Now, nobody can argue over the fact that the Bible says that the husband is the head of the wife, that the wife is supposed to submit herself unto the husband as unto the Lord. Nobody can argue that. It's stated not only here, but 1 Timothy chapter 2, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and many other places in Scripture minister this same thing. It is established uh, fact. The problem comes in the application of this. And I've heard some people take this where it says, submit yourselves unto the husband as unto the Lord, that that means that you submit to everything that that man says. If that man told you that you're supposed to go to the party with him and switch wives and have one of these kind of things, that you're supposed to obey it. And did you know a church that I came out of had a situation where a woman, was her husband was trying to force her to be on drugs, to do illicit sex acts and to go to parties and switch partners at these parties and participate in group sex and do things like this. And this woman was in a mess, in a service where these women were teaching on submission under the husbands, and this woman brought this up and says, am I supposed to submit to this kind of stuff? And they said, well, yes. And they said that because you will be on obedience to the Word of God, and God will place the blame, the punishment, the sin for what you do on your husband. He'll bear it, not you. Now that is not what the Word of God teaches. For one thing, submission and obedience are not the same thing. Now, if you can understand the difference between submission and obedience, it will help you to apply this. There is no way I can cover all of this stuff. It's impossible. I don't know how to do it. Boy, I'm going to say a lot of things as fast as I can. You better write fast. Amen. First, First Peter chapter 2 gives three examples. Let's turn over there real quick. 1 Peter chapter 2. It gives three examples of submitting ourselves unto authority. In verse 13, Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. For so is the will of God that with well-doing ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. 
as free and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God. Honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. So this first example is submit yourselves to every ordinance of man. It didn't say some of them, every ordinance of man. That means that if you're in a communist country, did you know that this Bible is still written for you? If you're in a communist country that forbids you to talk about God, forbids you to have a Bible, forbids you to meet and assemble, forbids you to be a Christian, do you submit yourself to that ordinance? Yes, you do submit to it, but you don't obey it. <coughs> Look who wrote this. Peter's the one that wrote this, and Peter can show you by his example. Over there in Acts chapter 3, 4, and 5, Peter was commanded not to preach the gospel anymore, was beaten for the sake of it, and said, don't you dare preach anymore. And Peter said, you judge in yourself, which is right, that we should obey God or you. He did not obey any command that they ever told him that violated the higher command of God, but he never rebelled, revolted at their authority. He went out and took the beating. Instead of fighting against them, instead of marshalling these at least 8,000 Christians that could have done something, he got there and started praying. He acted in love and submission towards these people, but never obeyed an ungodly command. Obedience and submission are not synonymous. He did not obey, but he did not rebel. That's important. The second example here in verse 18, Servants be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the forward. For this is thankworthy if a man, for conscience sake, towards God, endure grief, suffering wrongfully. For what glory is it if when ye be buffeted for your faults, ye shall take it patiently? But if when ye do well and suffer for it, ye shall take it patiently. This is acceptable with God. The second example is unto servants or slaves, unto masters. And he's teaching here to obey them, to be, or rather to be subject unto their masters, not only to the good and gentle, not only to the ones who are telling you to do the right things, but the ones who are the cruel ones, the ones that are telling you to do things contrary to God's will. On the surface, that may look like it's admonishing us to obey, but rather it's admonishing us to submit. Because you can see as he goes on and says here, he says, because if you suffer for doing what is right and take it patiently, that's acceptable with God. Now, why would you suffer, like for instance, a beating or reprimand, unless you did not obey? In other words, he's not telling you to obey anything that goes contrary to God, but submit. If they beat you, if they punish you, if they chastise you, take the punishment without rebellion, but do not disobey. Y'all see that? The third example is Jesus, and it says of Jesus, verse 21, For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. When he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously who his own self bear our sins and his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. Now Jesus is the supreme example. Jesus did never rebelled at the authority. He did not rail on Pilate. He did not rail on Herod. He could have said some things to them. Boy, he could have pulled out all of the stops, words of knowledge, told them all kinds of things. He could have done what he wanted to, but he did not rebel at the authority. He suffered the punishment. He humbled himself and became submissive even to the point of death. Now this is not real popular to share these kind of things because, man, we want to be free from any type of problems. Submission is not automatically going to guarantee you that you are not going to be taken advantage of. If you really humble yourself and come under the yoke, I promise you sometime or another you will be taken advantage of. But the difference will be that you'll be free yourself. You'll have the freedom and the liberty of God flowing on the inside of you. And through love, 
you'll win people over and you'll break down walls and barriers in the same way that Jesus did. It may have looked to some people like Jesus was weak, like Jesus didn't take a stand. But I guarantee you, here we are 2,000 years later, separating ourselves for weekends to come find out what he had to say to get him working in our life. He's the central figure of the human race. He's dominated the world ever since, and I guarantee you it may have looked weak to some people, but submission, obedience, humbling ourselves, not doing his own will, not railing, not defending himself, not demanding his rights, has gained him a name that is exalted above every name that can be named. He's been highly exalted by God, as, as Rich read over in Philippians chapter 2, because of that humble attitude. When you humble yourself and submit, you bring God on the scene. When you start trying to defend yourself, when you demand your rights, you take it out of God's hands, it's in your hands, and you will have no supernatural intervention. You are only going to get what you can produce. And even though you may get some compliance, there will always be multiple problems that go along with that. When you submit yourself, and through love, Submit yourself unto your mates. I promise you, God will come on the scene and God will avenge you. Just like with this pastor, four years ago, he criticized me openly. I never said one word against Dan. I never criticized him. Did you know God has vindicated that, brought us into a relationship, has blessed us a thousand times over? What would have done if I'd have got involved in that and if I'd have gone to criticizing him and have done these things? very possible that because of those things he'd have heard about him he never would have been as humble with me as he was it's very possible that because of my pride and because of the fact that I would have had to swallow all of these things I never would have opened myself up to him etc etc we would have taken God off of the scene we would have only had what we could produce and I guarantee you God can't put people together the way God put me and Dan together God did it I can show you other examples of people uh, that have come against me with their full weight. One man told everybody eyes of the devil. There's a pastor in Colorado Springs right now that grew up through Calvary Chapel out here in California. Got born again in their ministry and they take my tapes at Calvary Chapel and use them as an example of the occult and total deception. And they school their people and that this is the slickest deception that they've ever seen and use my teaching in my name. So this man was brought up hearing about Andrew Womack all of his life and he taught other people and used my tapes to critique and show uh, deception and all these kind of things. Now he has broken off a of Calvary Chapel. He's a pastor of the Vineyard Church in Colorado Springs and he comes to this minister's group. And through this minister's group, we started fellowshipping together and for months. We just visited back and forth and all he knew me as was Andy. He didn't know who I was. I was just Andy. And so we visited and we got to where we really liked each other. And man, we started sharing all of these things and we had a great fellowship going. One day I walked in with a jacket on that had Andrew Womack Ministries written across the back and his face, boy, just turned white. Boy, he flushed. He, he, I mean, he nearly did everything but sink under the table. And he says, my God, you can't be Andrew Womack. And I said, yes. And he began to tell me all this. And he says, I have called you names. I have told people you're of the devil. And he says, can you forgive me? And I said, sure, I can forgive you. And we're great friends now. Boy, we have good fellowship together. God vindicated that situation. I could get up and argue and grind and complain with people, but see, that's an attitude of rebellion. Man, trust it to God. Let God be the avenger and take care of things. Instead of you getting in and trying through the wrath of man to work the righteousness of God. Remember that scripture of James 1.20 that the wrath of man works not the righteousness of God. Submit yourself unto God and trust your mate to God and let God deal with that mate. Husbands, gain that submission by first of all submitting yourself. Let it be a race to see who can submit the most. Amen. Who can make themselves lower than the other one? Amen. I want to be, be more of a servant than you are. No, sir, I'm a bigger servant than you are. 
You know, that's the way that you get this compliance back. You go to serving your mate. Husbands, you begin to love your mate as Christ loved the church. You lay down your life. You take their blame. When they've blown it, and when you could be up in front of people criticizing them and telling them, man, my wife is a jerk, you get up there and you defend her. You take her blame. If she's done something wrong, you let the blame rest on your shoulders. You suffer for it the way that Jesus did for us. And you know what that'll do to that woman? That woman will want to say, man, I want to give my life to you. They'll respond to it. They'll begin to love you. They'll begin to feel protection. Women, submission is not a weak thing. It takes faith to operate in submission. What I'm talking about takes more character than being self-willed and standing up and demanding your rights and saying, you aren't treating me right and I demand that you treat me better. That's a very easy thing to do. That's the carnal way out. That's a weak person that takes that way. The person that's strong is the person that'll sit there and humbly sit there and take abuse, take the husband not ministering to you and still love him and submit to him even as the church unto the Lord Jesus Christ and trust God to work it out. Trust God to be the avenger of such. You'll maintain that attitude of submission. And when you do that, I guarantee you that man will begin to respond to you. He'll begin to respect you. If you build him up, how did you catch that man in the first place? The way you got him, I guarantee you, you didn't say, now you come over to my house at 5.30 and be there to pick me up and you had better not be late. <laughs> and this is where we're going to go. I want to go here and you're going to do what I tell you to do and I want it to be exactly this much money you spend on me tonight. You got this straight? <laughs> That's not the way you did it. You came on as the most helpless, pitiful, weak thing <laughs> that ever was, didn't you? you just decide where we go. I don't know. You do it. You know better than I do. <laughs> That's how you want that guy. Did you know that a man has an ego problem? <laughs> All men. And did you know that it's not totally wrong? Now, there are abuses of it. I've got to admit, there's a macho image. Man, I'm, I just haven't got time to deal with these things. I'm talking as fast as I can. I've got two minutes left. <laughs> But a man has an ego problem. There are extremes. But did you know that basically God made man that way? God made man to be dominant. God made man to be the leader. And within every man, there's that knowledge. And if the woman is dominant, if the woman is calling the shots, you are warring against that male ego. And I promise you, his reaction is going to be to bristle up, to be harsh, to be hard with you and things like that. You are soliciting most of those actions. If your husband isn't taking care of you, women, you've caused the majority of it because you haven't been that sweet, submissive wife that just built him up and that made him the person that he's supposed to be. A man's ego is a delicate thing. And I guarantee you, you go to being dominant in a relationship and you're in trouble. Women in ministry, I am not against a woman being in ministry. A woman can minister if her home is in order, first of all. But any woman in ministry had better beware that if she begins to gain more recognition than that husband, if she gets to where she's dominant, if she's the spokesman and the husband is always just the guy that carries her purse for everywhere that they go, I guarantee you, you're warring against that man's ego and I don't believe that that's a situation that God intended. It's a dangerous, dangerous situation. And I can name you three churches right now that the husband and wife, the wife became dominant in the ministry, and in every situation, the woman is wound up running off with somebody in the church who she could submit to and respect, and the man has been left out in the cold. In one of those instances, I counseled the man and told him, I said, I don't believe that your wife is supposed to be the pastor of this church and to be dominant. I said, she can minister with you, but she is ten times more dominant than you are. 
And he said, no, no, God put her in here. Within, He told me after the divorce, after she's run off with somebody, after all of these things, he told me the day she became pastor, she was not able to separate herself from the authority in that church and the position in the home. She was also the pastor in the home. She was dominant in the home and says our relationship began to skid. It took two years, but it went downhill until she ran off with the associate pastor who was a man, and they're living together thinking God called them to do it in total deception. I guarantee you, you, God did not make the woman to be dominant. He did not make her to be a rug. He made them to walk alongside, submitting one to another. But a man's ego, woman, you cannot violate that and prosper. You're going to have to build it up. And if you just use some sense, you can use it to your advantage. Rather than sitting there saying, you old reprobate, take out the trash. You never take out the trash. You never do anything around here. You're a bum. You're sitting in your chair reading your paper. Do something. You know what? You, boy, you have just done the wrong thing. <laughs> that man's going to be resentful. And if he does comply, you're going to damage his ego to a point that he won't be able to live with himself. He'll have such a low self-esteem, etc., etc. You're making him the way that he is. You know, you could come up and approach the same situation and say, Honey, you're so strong and this bag is so heavy and it's cold outside. Or No, y'all don't have that excuse down here. <laughs> but see, you could come up and say, Would you please take this out just for me? And I guarantee you that man would jump right up and go to doing it for you. That's how you got him in the first place. If you women had used some smart, you know, that's, that's how you approach this thing. But somehow or another, we quit walking. In the same rule. I guarantee you, you build that man up and make him think he's the greatest provider, he's, he's the best this, he's the best that, and that man will do anything for you. That's the way that God ordained that a woman receive, is through building up, ministering to her husband, and helping him, not criticizing him. Boy, a contentions of a nagging wife are like a continual dropping in a day of rains, what the Bible says. I'd rather dwell in the corner of a housetop, I mean in, in a wilderness, than in the corner of a house, a wide house with a contentious and brawling woman, is what the Bible says. A woman in subjection is the greatest thing that God ever made. It's the crowning jewel of his creation. A woman in contention and out of submission is like rottenness of the bone and a jewel in a swine's snout, is what the Bible says. <laughs> A woman can be the best thing that ever came along or the worst thing. That's what the Bible says. I tell you, submission, and when you understand it and apply it, it's a great thing. It's, it's the way of freedom and liberty. It's the better way. I promise you, God didn't tell us to submit as an oppressive thing. He did it because it's, it's what God created you to be. Those are the roles God put you in. And you won't be happy doing it your own way. Some of you that have been self-willed and you've done your own thing and you've been throwing your weight around and trying to intimidate your mate, it's not fulfilled you. You don't have joy through that. You're miserable. It's causing problems. I tell you, submission is God's way. It's God's system. And if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, you've got to learn to be a servant of all. If you want to be head and chief, then you must minister and wash the feet of other people, even as Jesus did his disciples. The way up in God's system is down. And the reason for contention in marriage is because of this self-centeredness. Pride is the only reason the contention comes. Lack of submission. And if that's not been your attitude today, it's an attitude of rebellion. It's witchcraft in your home. It's stubbornness. It's idolatry. And I guarantee you, Satan is running rampant in the body of Christ and in homes today because we have rebelled at that. We haven't had that attitude of submission. 
Man, there's so much more that could be said. I didn't even get started on that today, but I tell you, if you receive the things we talked about, I believe they'll help you. There's a lot more details. I've got tapes on submission that will deal with this. Another thing, I'm not going to be able to deal with child training. But in child training, you've got to deal with that rebellion in children. Or I guarantee you, your children can be just as much of an inroad into your home. We could have spent this whole weekend dealing with children, really. There's that much material that we know, and there's a lot that we don't know, but there's that much material that we could deal with children that much in depth. And your children are a vital part of your ministry, but we aren't even going to be able to touch that subject. My wife has three tapes on child training, one, two, and three that you can take advantage of and they'll help you. For those of you that have heard the old teaching, tapes one and two, this is a brand new series. It's the same material, but it's six or seven years further down the road. We've got a lot more wisdom. It's, I believe, better organized, better presented, and it'll be a blessing to you. And those tapes will help you. Y'all receive that today? Amen. Did you submit to it? Amen. Amen. Humble yourselves. Receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls and it'll bless you. You don't think I beat them with the word, you know? <laughs> I just try to be honest and straightforward, man. I was talking fast. I'm five minutes over. We're going to be back at 1.30 and the Diazios will have one last session. I think Tina's going to share on the woman more and then we're going to have the group uh, ministry and discussion on sex and I really encourage you this is probably going to be some of the most beneficial practical teaching so make sure you're back for all of that. Amen. We hope that your heart has been quickened by hearing the word of God through this message. Remember Andrew Womack Ministries operates a helpline that you can call for prayer and information at 719-635-1111. We have a ministry website at www.awmi.net and you can write the ministry at P.O. Box 3333, Colorado Springs 80934. Until next time, we pray that you will reach out by faith and receive everything that is yours through God's grace.